Hey everyone, it's Cam. This episode is sponsored by Mark's Home Healthcare. If you have someone in your family that that is elderly or disabled and needs home healthcare services, you can't go wrong with Mark's. They have highly trained, professional, in-home caregivers available 24 hours a day. They also have convenient office locations in Queens, Bronx, Brooklyn, and Buffalo. I personally know people that have benefited from their services. They also accept most health insurances. Take a look at their website at markshhc.com to find out more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bengalis in New York show. My name is Arik and uh, we were repping it for, you know, the Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens, Staten Island, and all over the world. So welcome and enjoy. So, yeah, I'm really excited to be doing this. I think this is just like an important conversation. um, And I hope that there are like students who tune into this, parents, because it's I think it's equally important to have like the parents sort of buy in as well Mm -hmm. as like having students kind of, you know, aware of these things. So I think, yeah, let's just jump right into it. Um, Awesome. We had kind of discussed that. I think the general structure for this can be like just a really quick overview of like, you know, what topics like are important for college admissions. I think this is something that there's a lot of information on Google, like on this. So we'll just like go over it really quickly. And I think a lot of students are generally aware of these things. And then Mm -hmm. we can go into maybe like some of the barriers that like our communities face um, Mm -hmm. in regards to these things. And Lastly, we can do like the interview stuff and just kind of talk about like what separates, you know, like an amazing interviewee or inter yeah, interviewee from like one that's just okay. So what do you think? Perfect. Um so so right now you're you're in the interview cycle, right? And you're you're interviewing people who are applying to Princeton. Yes. So I've I interviewed like five students this cycle so i think i'm all done unless like there's unless there are more that they like need people last minute to help out yeah um but yeah so it's been good and i've been doing it for the last few years also just like since graduating exactly yeah awesome okay um so what are what are some common things that you would advise people who are applying to competitive colleges or universities programs to like look out for yeah so just generally um and this will be very brief um but i think you know the rigor of courses so like you know honors versus ap versus like regular level Mm -hmm. courses and i know every high school is different there are ib programs um but i think it's pretty common at least like in the u.s to have like the ap uh, system in high schools so just like course rigor depends on what your high school offers and then you know, the grades in those courses is, you know, important, like transcript, that's like the first thing that colleges see. Um, Mm -hmm. And then besides that, there are like the admissions tests, so SAT, ACT, and then I think the SAT subject tests, which are, you know, maybe less well-known, but they're a huge part of the application as well. Um, Sometimes they catch students off guard because you think you're ready to apply you've taken your sat or your act and like no surprise like a lot of these top schools require multiple sat tests. mm-hmm. tests so yeah. 
yeah, that I would put that in like the bucket with um, just like, you know, admissions exams and then co-curricular activities. So, Mm -hmm. you know, things like sports, what clubs you're in, volunteering. Um, It goes way beyond that. But just generally, that's what I think what people think of with like co-curricular activities. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're both familiar with all of these. We've been sort of been through it. Been through the Um, process. Um, One one thing that I'm thinking about is during the pandemic, during virtual learning, doing things like co-curricular activities become difficult because you can't congregate or um, a lot of states don't have like contact sports, for example. So what would you recommend to people who who are having difficulty building up their application resume during a time like this? Yeah. That's such a good point. I mean, so I think one thing to just keep in mind is that like everyone is going through this and that has been something I've heard a lot this cycle interviewing as well as like everyone's Mm -hmm. plans kind of just got Got a wrench thrown in it. Yeah, Yeah. it's, it's everyone like it's not just you know, I know it can feel like, oh, like all my plans got ruined. My resume isn't like what I wanted it to be. But this like everyone is going through the same thing. And Mm -hmm you know, I think colleges do understand that. Now, that does not mean that you kind of have, like, an excuse to say, oh, well, I just, I didn't do anything because I couldn't. I do think there are ways around it. So, I know, just, I've talked to a lot of pre-med students, and this is, like, Mm -hmm. I guess, uh, we're talking more about, like, high school students, but I just want to give an example where a lot of pre-med students, they, you know, in an ideal world would be shadowing doctors and getting these clinical experiences because if you're going to apply to med school right like you have to kind of be able to say you know I did these activities that led Mm -hmm. me to believe that I want to go into medicine but how do you do that in a pandemic when like you're not allowed in a hospital right Mm -hmm. and there are these virtual shadowing programs that have popped up and I have it's like on a highlight in on uh, my page under my profile there's like a bunch of resources for pre-meds who want to do these shadowing activities. And like in, in times like these, I think opportunities do pop up like this, where you sort of accommodate the situation. And so there's actually, it's not just one or two programs. There's a lot of these um, programs that have popped up for college students to participate in and virtually get a little bit of that experience of shadowing or, um, you know, mm-hmm. it'll be like different doctors coming on and talking about what they do. And that's like a way for students to sort of, it's not the same, but it's better than nothing. Right. Right. And so like participating in something like that. And that's just like an example that I want, I wanted to share about how you can accommodate a little bit, like to a certain extent. So I, I think that it's not the same doing things over zoom, but there's still a way to do that for whatever clubs you're in, in school. Um, I think there's also a lot of, you know, I I do think hobbies and activities that you do on your own, like can still count as a co-curricular activity. Like if Mm -hmm. you're someone that's really into painting or knitting or something, and that's something that you do, I I think that absolutely counts, you know? Right. Absolutely. That is an activity. So I think this is a year where like people are going to have to lean into like activities that they do on their own that still bring them some level of like fulfillment or, you know, if you're like sort of building a skill and just Mm -hmm. trying to really hone in on it and get better, like this is a year to do that. And 
I think you can absolutely talk about that. It doesn't have to just be like only sports teams or only like, you know, I was mm-hmm. in these clubs, like co-curricular activities can go well beyond that. Even like if you hold a job or something and like there are like I know people do like virtual tutoring and things like mm-hmm. that for money. Exactly. Yeah, like that's still a valuable experience and like something that counts as a co-curricular. Mm-hmm. So any anything outside of school really. It also makes me think there there's so many opportunities to take your hobby and interest and kind of scale it up or or do something um Absolutely. I'm thinking like service oriented. Um so for example, like Princeton Princeton has a very high emphasis on service and that's like uh, a question that they ask separately on on the secondary apps mm-hmm. um and so you know like how do you take something like knitting or um other other types of hobbies that you don't really consider to be that helpful and and turn it into something that you can kind of frame it in a way that's helpful for your application absolutely yeah absolutely i totally agree mm-hmm. and i've kind of spoken about this before where sometimes we think of like okay volunteering is like, you know, volunteering in a hospital or in a soup kitchen. But, like, there are ways to turn your own interest. Like, if you're really interested in knitting or, like, painting, you can still mm-hmm. use that and turn that into, like, a volunteering opportunity, right? Like, you can still exactly. teach a painting class for, like, the senior citizens who, like, live in, you know, the local, like, senior hall or something, like, anything mm-hmm. like that, right? You can still... Um, it doesn't have to be the most like traditional or like the first type of thing that comes into people's minds. Like you can still turn your own interests into like leadership or volunteering or, you know, exactly. And I I think that that also helps you stand out. You know, these admission communities go through thousands of applications and a lot of them do look like cookie cutter applications. Mm -hmm. So how do I'm sure almost everyone's part of their National Honor Society, for example. Right. Um, If if you're applying to like a competitive school or an Ivy, that's most likely the case. So how do you make yourself stand out? And that's actually a question that I I want to ask you. Like, what's what's something that you see in your interviewees um, that that make you go, ah, this person sticks out to me. I'm going to remember this person when I write up their, their report. Absolutely. I mean, there's like a few things that come to mind that have like made someone just seem impressive to me. Um, and I do want to say first, I feel like with the interviews, I don't want to like make it seem like it's the most important part of the application because it's not, Mm -hmm. you know, I think it's one of the least important parts actually. Um, and I think that the rest of the application, like a lot of that it, it probably comes through to like the admissions committee who's reading the application, right? Because mm-hmm. like these students have written about their activities and what they're doing. But at least like when talking to someone, there's a couple things that come to mind. So I know that like there have been people who have students who have talked to who um, sort of have received like awards at the highest level, like at a national level for mm-hmm. you know some. Like, I, I don't want to get into, like, specifics just for, because we're not supposed to as, you know. Yeah. It, like I don't want to be, like, identifiable. Mm-hmm. But, um, like, when students receive awards at, like, a national level for something, I think that's always really impressive. Or, like, scholarships at a national level, like, even at the high school level, because those do mm-hmm. exist, especially in international um, sort of applicants. So that's one thing. But obviously, that's... I feel like, yes, obviously, like, awards are impressive. Um, right. There have been situations where students have spoken about, like, oh, I'm, I was really interested 
in this sport and I wanted to do it, but it was actually like my family couldn't afford to get the equipment for it. So I couldn't do that sport. And that got me really into like running because you don't need equipment for that. Mm. And so like, I love running and that's how I actually got started in it. And now I'm like on the cross country team and I am, you know, competitive at this higher level in running. So Mm -hmm. that's kind of like, I think leaning into what challenges you faced and not being shy about it and like kind of showing how that propelled, like propelled you forward in a way Mm -hmm. is something that's always been impressive. I think to me. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like taking the best of, of the situation that you have. How did you spin it to serve you regardless of the resources that were or were not available to you? Exactly. And, exactly. Yeah. And it's always like, you don't want to tell someone, hey, I'm resourceful. You want to kind of show them, right? Like, mm-hmm. let me tell you the story of what happened to me and like show you how I was resourceful. And that's much more impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, that's like definitely something that comes to mind. I think we can also get into just some of the general, um, I guess, things about interviewing. Cause I do think there's a difference between like being well-prepared for an interview and being smart. Right. It's right. like a good interviewer is not necessarily like smarter than a bad interviewer. It's just that they're better mm-hmm. prepared. And so like, there's a lot that we can talk about. Um, so I think we can, definitely will get to that. I mean, maybe we could talk a little bit about our backgrounds and make the audience aware of where we're coming from. Um, So I guess I'll go first. So my parents are Bangladeshi immigrants. I was born and raised here, but um, I went to a really uh, crappy public school (laughs) in in New York and I I made it to Princeton. Um, At Princeton, I I majored in architecture, minored in neuro. Um, They didn't have a neuro major when I was there. And then now I'm at Harvard doing my master's in architecture. Very cool. Very cool. Um, So I grew up in Chicago and my parents, it's really, it's interesting because I feel like whenever someone asks me my background, I kind of trace it to like all like India, Pakistan and Bangladesh, like from, Mm -hmm. so it's just like very much like a child of the diaspora. Um, But they're immigrants, you know, neither of my Mm -hmm. parents were born here. Um, My mom was a little younger when she came and my dad was older when he came to the States. Um, But yeah, I grew up in Chicago. I went to a public school. Uh, It was one of those public schools that you have to test into. So it was actually Mm -hmm. like a, a pretty good public school. And I didn't actually appreciate the fact that it, it actually was a good school um mm-hmm. I remember when I was in high school I never really I was just like yeah it's fine like it's just like a public school um there's like a lot of really smart kids there's a lot of really dumb kids like it's fine it's just a school um yeah but it was a pretty decent school in retrospect um and then I did undergrad at Princeton and then went straight through to med school um so yeah that's where I am now yeah, that's awesome. Um, and it's really impressive that you're able to, you know, do events and blogs like this while being a medical student. Um, yeah, <laughs> you really care about it. You make time for it. Um, but yeah, one of one of the barriers that I see in, in coming from a first gen family is that um, our parents, for example, are not familiar with the common app process or the college admission process. Right. They came from a system where, for example, they have to declare 
their major or subject by like 10th grade, for example, and they like stick to that. It's not a traditional liberal arts education that you find in the States. Um, And so you, especially if you're the oldest child in your family, you don't have anyone really to go to in your immediate surroundings um, for help during, during this process. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And I feel like the system here is just, it's so different, even from other countries. Like I think the emphasis on like, co-curricular activities and things like that is not necessarily um like in a lot of other countries it's all about the numbers right it's just about yeah. like oh like what score did you get and like mm-hmm. these you know there's this sense at least like when i was in high school i don't feel like my parents fully grasped that like these co-curricular activities are actually really important like it's not just mm-hmm. for fun like you kind of have to actually do things outside of school in order to make yourself an impressive college applicant here and that's not yeah that's not the case i feel like in the right they they grew up with a totally different set of standards yeah and i i remember when i was growing up i i i did clubs after school and my parents would always be like you're wasting your time like don't you have an exam or like or whenever i'd get a lower than usual grade they'd be like oh it's because you spent too much time in choir for example like you should just put that that's always the go-to thing to nix in in their eyes but really it really like amplifies and bolsters like our holistic education and like kind of development as as a person too yeah no i completely agree with that i feel like for like growing up just for my parents it was like school came first and everything else was like a distant second Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just for them it's like unless like you're really getting like perfect grades then everything else should really be like on hold sort of situation which Mm -hmm. yeah i i mean i get it i feel like they came from a system where it's just all about the numbers and so that's like definitely a barrier just like not understanding how the system necessarily works Mm -hmm. um and And i I think sorry go ahead no no go ahead I was going to pivot to to another point, but I'll let you finish yours. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say that, and I I think it's important to have parents' buy-in, right, in order to like mm-hmm. kind of be successful. And like, if you are aiming for like these top schools, I do think it's important for parents to understand, like, you know, mm-hmm. it's yes, the grades are important, and like the test scores are important, and like these activities are also important. Like, if you're aiming for getting into these top schools or getting scholarships or things like that, it is, you know, you're going to have to have parental support. I think it's really helpful Mm -hmm. to have parental support. Um, Otherwise it becomes really hard to, you know, do things out there. You're by yourself. You're truly by yourself trying to, yep, navigate things. So, so the emphasis on grades actually reminds me of um, a lot of, of what I see in the Bengali community of, of Bengali parents enrolling their kids in, in tutoring programs outside of school. Mm-hmm. So in, in New York City, which I'm the most familiar with, like Constitutorial, for example, is, is a big one um, that's actually Bengali owned, but um, also has high Bengali student attendance, um, not only for SAT prep or AP prep, but also for specialized high school admission tests, like starting from middle school even. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's kind of this pressure from early on that that you have to do these things and even outside of school you have to attend more school on the weekends right um but that that comes with a price tag and you know looking at our community typically like the immigrant community in new york that's um predominantly working class that's for sure a financial barrier that that comes comes to mind yeah i completely agree and i feel like i've noticed 
that the first gen students who quote unquote make it Mm -hmm. are really good at kind of teaching themselves from like a textbook, you know, being able to look at the example problems and figuring it out and not needing to sort of have someone verbally teach it to them or like spoon feed Mm -hmm. it. Um, And I've just noticed that not just among South Asians, just like among first gen or like lower income students in general, the ones who succeed have sort of figured out that like, yeah, I'm going to need to have to teach myself things from a textbook or Mm -hmm. use like sort of put in the time to find those online resources like Khan Academy, you know, things like that, which are online that are free. But if you're not going to be able to pay for, you know, personalized tutoring or things like that, then you're going to have to put in, right. If you can't, if you can't spend money on it, then you're going to have to put in the time and the elbow grease. And like, I can say, I mean, I never went to any of these tutoring sort of courses growing up in like, whether for prep for exams or for additional Mm -hmm. tutoring on the side. Um, And I, I guess like, I think I've always been someone who can like learn from a textbook. And on one hand, I understand that like maybe not everyone is visual learner or things like that, but there are resources, you know, that are available. And I know these courses, these like personalized tutoring courses, they mm-hmm. A, they price people out, but B, I don't feel like they are necessary. Agreed. I, I think going back to what you're saying about first gen students teaching themselves stuff from the textbook. Um, just just the idea of teaching yourself, I think, does become helpful in college or is, is kind of a skill that is assumed that, that you know and can master because the professor is not going to cover all the material, for example, or is going to go through it at lightning speed. Right. And so everything else you kind of have to figure out for yourself before that exam or the problem set is due. Um, so, yeah. so I think it does it does serve them well um, later on. Um, I, I kind of had I don't know, I kind of had a different experience with with personalized um, with personal tutoring services growing up. Um, so because I came from like a, a not so well public school, I wasn't really around students who, who like were very ambitious or a lot of them honestly weren't even thinking of going to college because of the financial barrier because um, they come from very um, low income backgrounds in, in my neighborhood. Um, so I, my, my parents being the brown people <laughs> they are, were like, okay, let's enroll you in like maybe an SAT prep course mm-hmm. type of thing and that's so I had to commute like into the city for example um from from where I am in Long Island and the other students that I was surrounded by in the test prep center actually like really motivated me or completely like shocked me it was like a culture shock of like wow there are other students out there who like are very ambitious and this is the kind of stuff that they're like doing or like these are their interests mm-hmm. and stuff mm-hmm. so that that kind of exposure ended up motivating me yes it was it did like burn me out because it's like oh my god (laughs) like more school on top of teaching myself stuff right at in a place that I'm I don't have many resources um but but I think it's it can be a double-edged sword if if you can financially afford to do that but I I think about this the families who can't afford um like these these type of tutoring services but really do go out of their way you know parents picking up extra shifts just to send their kids for like two more months of, of these type of classes is it is it really worth it um or is it just something that they they do to make themselves feel better like i'm i'm giving my kid the most um most chance here yeah that's i mean that's such a good point and i 
I guess like every situation is different and like yeah. it's kind of hard to say like is it worth it or is it not because in your case it sounds like maybe it was worth it just to even if you didn't need to do it like all four mm-hmm. years of high school but just to get that exposure to like other students who were aiming higher than maybe like the people you were surrounded by it sounds like yeah maybe right. it was um, yeah every every person is is different for sure yeah yeah but I, I do want to say though that I think whether for, you know, courses that you're taking in school or even for standardized exams, I, I do think that there are enough resources available um, that are mm-hmm. free that, like, I, I do think we can accomplish the same thing. I mentioned, like, Khan Academy yeah. has, like, great videos. Um, there's this thing called, like, Homework Hotline which mm. I've heard of high school students using. Um, my brother just graduated from high school. So like, <laughs> I feel like I, I know he and like some of his classmates have like used things like that. Then mm-hmm. there's this other program. So Chegg, which is this online mm-hmm. service and it's like $15 a month, but it gives like step-by-step solutions to uh, problems in textbooks like it has all the major textbooks like in their database with solutions you know in the back of the book there's like the odd number questions oh, yeah. but this is like it'll have all the step-by-step mm-hmm. for all the questions and something like that i do think you can learn from that right if it's giving you step-by-step for like how it solves like a certain math problem or mm-hmm. something like that um you know those sorts of resources you can really use those to your advantage and like $15 a month is obviously going to be way cheaper than like enrolling your kid in like a course like this so for sure yeah I think there are things out there and especially like if you're not learning from your teacher and you feel like you're leaving class and you know the teacher wasn't that effective or you still have a lot of questions there are still you know within high schools there are still like tutoring sort of programs after hours or the mm-hmm. teachers will have like sometimes I guess it depends on the high school but sometimes they'll have tutoring and even if not you can yeah. still ask your teacher right you can still say hey like I, I don't get it and I know you don't have these like tutoring hours so what resources do you recommend for me to look at for this unit right and right. Like, put it on them mm-hmm. like they can also help find what videos because there's so many videos on like YouTube for just like anything whether it's like your chemistry class or you need help with factoring and algebra Mm -hmm. or whatever like those resources are out there and i think if you're not able to learn what you need to from your teacher in school like you can still supplement with free resources i firmly believe that so Mm -hmm. that's that's my two cents on it (laughs) yeah i i agree and i i think a lot of people are resorting to that now and especially in a zoom world where you don't have a teacher with you like in person at least um to be able to show you things um yeah these these are really great points um actually i i wanted to talk about so a lot of what we've been talking about assumes that there's there's kind of like an internal motivation um to want to like apply to these highly competitive schools um what about people who kind of assume from ahead of time like oh i'm i'm probably going to go to for example um, my local college Mm -hmm. because of some of the cultural or gender norms that are there i i always hear that at least in the migali community there are Mm -hmm. so many people who have so much potential but kind of sell themselves short from very early on saying my parents won't let me dorm so what's the point of me 
applying to any school um, outside of New York City, for example. Right. Um, and so the only like top school that they'll apply to is Columbia, for example. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've I've seen a lot of that. And I guess there's a couple things that I would want to highlight. One is just the fact that there there should be a financial motivation to get into the best school you can, because mm-hmm. if you are a very competitive applicant, you're going to be more likely to get scholarship, whether that's merit-based or need-based. Um, mm-hmm. You know, these top schools obviously have so much money. They're, they have billion-dollar endowments. They're, the, a lot of these top schools have like no loan programs, meaning, mm-hmm. you know, based on your financial need, they will not even include loans in your financial aid package. It should just be based on um, sort of what your parents can contribute and the rest would be scholarship. And mm-hmm. their goal is to graduate as many people as possible without student debt. Um, and so I think there is a just like a very tangible, physical, like monetary incentive to make yourself the best applicant possible. And I I think that's important for students to know and for parents, right? Because ultimately I think that is, that is like kind of stressful for parents to feel like, oh my, you know, I'm not going to be able to afford XYZ college. Um, But I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, that's just not true. That's not necessarily true. And I would yeah. say, I mean, a lot of these colleges also, these top schools, like you could go to Harvard's website or Princeton's website, and they have these on like cost calculators or estimators. Mm-hmm. And you put in your family's income, you put in how many dependents your parents have, things like that. And it'll tell you what you're going to be expected to pay. And mm-hmm. I would definitely encourage, you know, high school students, even middle school students before, you know, even before starting high school to think about these things and just see, mm-hmm. just see, cause you will be surprised by how little you might be expected for sure. Pay. And for, for Princeton, I think it's, if, if your family makes under 150,000, um, you, you end up not paying for your, for your education. And that number, that threshold is much higher than what's advertised on like the FAFSA website or any federal website that talks about higher education. Yes. Yes. And I, and I think it's one of, this is like some sort of like, for some reason it's not that well known. And Mm -hmm. I think in these like first gen communities, it just feels so unattainable, right? Like you hear Princeton or Harvard and you feel like, Oh, like I could never afford that. When mm-hmm. a Princeton or Harvard, if you can get in, is going to be probably way more affordable than like your state university or, you know, the local like private college that's yeah. in your town. And that's that, a- that is so true. I, I was thinking back to when I applied, for example, I, I didn't really think about the money factor. Um, like I was willing to take out loans and my parents were willing to help me out, to help me figure things out if I ever got in. Um, so the first barrier for me was like, can I even get in? And then after I got in, I was yeah. so pleasantly surprised at, at the price tag or almost lack of a price tag for, for like a four year education. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and I think that's the story of so many first gen students at Princeton. Mm-hmm. And obviously I think there's like some stigma about talking about like money and, um, you know, loans and how much did you pay? And like, cause there's a, you know, there are people at Princeton paying full price mm-hmm. and there are people who are not paying a penny and like, right. that's just the reality. Um, but I, I think it's definitely 
like if you know someone if you're you know first gen family and like you kind of know Mm -hmm. someone who made it to one of these top schools then like that's helpful because then you can kind of hear it from them firsthand that like no it's actually it is affordable and it is attainable um but for families who like maybe don't know anyone it's kind of it's kind of harder that's why i I highly recommend just checking out one of those cost estimators and just Mm -hmm. you know like just see um because yeah you don't you don't know like whether it's going to be affordable or not until you do a little bit of investigating and yeah yeah exactly i i think there's also a stigma of when you think of these highly competitive schools that they're attended by like rich or famous people's sons and daughters for example right so there's already like you're associating that this place belongs to people who are of a certain status socioeconomically speaking um and that that kind of sets you up from early on to it's kind of like a like a barrier mentally of like i'm not i don't fit those criteria so why would i Absolutely. Why would I apply there? And then you hear mm-hmm. these stories in the news about like these scandals where people are paying to get their kids into college. So then that like reinforces, you know, yeah. that thinking that like you just think, oh, it's all nepotism. It's all just like rich people. But like, that's, exactly. Yeah, that's not, I don't think the majority of, you know, these students are like necessarily like in that situation. I don't even mm-hmm. think, I mean, I, I really don't know this, but I don't think that the majority of students were like legacies even at Princeton like I don't think it's more than 50 percent like it's not I don't think it's the majority but I mean I haven't done any research on that so that's Mm -hmm. just like my my feeling is that yeah you know um but I think yeah I guess the other the other part of this is like the component of like parents not wanting their kids to leave like go out of state or dorm and that's like a harder that, one which to work like, with yeah it's so tough and I you know when I was in high school I so I grew up in Chicago mm-hmm. and I was always thinking like I I want to go to Northwestern or University of Chicago because like I didn't I just like was convinced You're familiar with my them. parents yeah I was just convinced yeah. that like my parents would not let me go out of state and obviously I was wrong like they, they clearly did let me mm-hmm. um but I there's like a part of me that almost feels like that issue is something like once you get in and you have your offers, then mm-hmm. you can kind of make, you know, uh, it's your leverage for it and say, yeah, hey, I got into Harvard and it's mm-hmm. like way cheaper than like the local private school here. Like you're going to tell me I can't go to Harvard and pay less and you're going to make me go to a worse school. Like that's like an argument mm-hmm. that you now have a leg to stand on. Um, yeah, but I think in general, it's worth trying to be the most competitive applicant that you can be and trying like aiming for the best, because then even if you don't get into like, like a Harvard mm-hmm. or a Princeton, then, you know, you still might be good enough to get a lot of scholarship money at your local school. Right. For sure. So mm-hmm. like shoot for the stars, land on the moon, aim for the yeah. moon type of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Because. Yeah, I think it pays off to be, like, the most competitive you can be, even if you're kind of not sure if your parents will let you. And and again, Mm -hmm. like, this is why I think it's just important to have the parents buy in from the very beginning to kind of understand, like, you know, why it's so important to, like, do these co-curricular activities and, like, you know, Mm -hmm. like, what you're kind of aiming for. And I do think part of that is 
making sure parents understand like the price tag component because like that might be the thing that they're worried about um mm-hmm. and just helping them realize like no like your kid can actually graduate debt free at a great university but like you're gonna have to support them and understand that like these are the things that are important for them to be doing during high school for that to happen mm-hmm. that's very true you know thinking of going away comes with the price tag of dorming of living costs that are an added cost to whatever financial aid package you receive mm-hmm. for tuition um so so that that definitely is a big factor and um it's it's good to have these conversations early on to kind of see the array of situations and and your parents and family's response to that yeah yeah Yeah. i i totally agree and also a lot of these even local private universities will require students to pay for a dorm for the first two years like they just Mm -hmm. require on-campus housing for the first couple of years like northwestern is the example that comes to mind i know some people in chicago who um, they live like 10 minutes away from the campus, but the university will like require them to pay for a dorm. Yeah. So, like, same, same with Princeton. It's like the yeah. first two years and you had yeah. so many like Princeton junction kids who, who actually had to yeah. dorm on campus. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Which is like, that's another thing to kind of like make sure parents are aware of too. Right. It's like, don't think mm-hmm. it's going to be like totally free for housing. Like you still might have to pay for two years worth of a dorm. So like in that case, you know, you should at least be open to out-of-state university. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but but I, I do think it's really tough though with like the cultural aspect of it and just like not wanting to like send your kids away. It's it's really tough because like education is definitely one of the biggest drivers of upward mobility in this country. Mm-hmm. That's just true, and I think a lot of immigrants know that. On like an objective level but then like when it comes to actually like it's your kids and like you know maybe the community isn't supportive of like Mm -hmm. sending kids out of state or like especially with daughters more so unfortunately that's yeah the the gender norms yeah it's really i mean my approach in my life like in my experience was like let me just see if i can get in and then once i get in like now you'll figure it out discussion on like do i get to you know go out of state do i get to go yeah for sure that's very true there is a dissonance between you know kind of the values that our parents believe in and preach but what they actually at the end of the day come down and sit at the table and and discuss with you um another thing that i often hear actually is of disruptive or not not very well catered home environments to like studying or or um, Mm. being able to do anything at home, especially now that's very relevant, right? Everyone's working and and studying from home. Um, And I I think that's also like, I know you see so many memes of like your your parents coming in with like cut food and stuff, like while you're studying, you're like, come on, like (laughs) not now, like I'm I'm in a class right now, for example. That's like a humorous example, but (laughs) it becomes like more and more toxic, like on the other end of the spectrum, right? And so that's another thing, you know, I think of low-income families who, who don't have space, for example, there are people who don't have their own rooms to study in. Um, how how can they focus and be their best selves um, it, right now when when things like libraries, cafes, et cetera, aren't open or even in general so without that? Yeah. Yeah, that's a huge barrier. And I feel like, I mean, my family at home is like very loud. Like <laughs> I yeah. can sort of relate to that, but at the same time, like, 
I was always able to study in like a separate room if I needed mm-hmm. to and things like that. So yeah. and like everyone wasn't always at home 24 seven because it wasn't COVID. So you're so right. And I, I don't know. I mean, I like earplugs and like, I, I used to study in like Firestone library and like, you know, these type earplugs mm-hmm. at the desk and I would use those and block out all the noise and I feel like that's what I would be doing if I was, if that was me, if I was in a situation where I was at home and I couldn't study. Yeah. That's, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Going back to kind of the, the dreams that our parents have for us. I think that's, that's something that shapes us from very early on for what we, what we set ourselves up for goal wise, um, at least navigating life here. Um, kind of want to speak more about that because it's, it definitely does seem like a, a dissonance and, if if for people who are watching now um and kind of feel like empowered or, or like motivated to like go out there and, and um kind of set themselves up higher for these programs, how would they like approach a conversation with their parents or their family um about that? I guess I mean I I'm lucky because my mom's younger brother was very um he, he's like nine years younger than her, so he's he's mm-hmm. a bit younger. Um and he, you know, went to college, whatever. He went to business school. And I feel like that's where he sort of um, kind of just, like, learned about, like, all these things that are important to be doing in high school. And so he was always a good, like, sort of guiding, like, person in my life. And he was mm-hmm. the one who would always tell me, like, in high school, hey, you need to be doing these activities. Like, it's not just about grades. Because I think a lot of our parents, yeah. like, they know, like, grades are important, right? Like, that seems very intuitive. Universal. Me. Yeah, just, yeah. Like, get good grades. Like, good grades will mm-hmm. help you in life. But, um, so, my uncle was definitely the one who, who was sort of, like, guiding me a little bit and saying, you know, from the very beginning, like, that, oh, all these other things are important, too. And I feel like through that, my parents got a little bit of exposure to it. Or, like, he would, you know, talk to them about it, too. And, um... Mm-hmm he would always talk about how like, no, like these Ivy league schools can actually be very affordable. Like we have to be aiming like as high as we can for Sophia. Like it's not mm-hmm. just about like going to, you know, the local university or things like that. It's not just about like getting a college degree for the sake of a college degree. Like we should really try to like aim as high as possible sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I think I would, I really feel like it's important for parents from the beginning of high school, not the end when you're like, you know, last, about, minute. last yeah. minute, like about to do your essays and interview, but from the very beginning, sort of mm-hmm. understand, you know, these components that go into applying to college in general and then like top colleges more specifically about mm-hmm. um you know like there are these standardized exams that like should be on the radar and like grades are important but it's not just about grades like it's also part of it is like you want to make sure that your kid is maybe able to take honors courses if they're offered at the high school and like part of that involved Mm -hmm. like that means like being involved right talking to the school's like counselor you know the person who's like organized like figuring out what courses you're going to be able to take or um organizing like letters of recommendation and things like that and I think at the high school level a lot of kids like you're you're what like 14 when you go into high school that's so young like yeah like I don't think it necessarily only falls on the kid or that it's only their responsibility I do think parents still need to be involved at that age Mm -hmm. um and like 
at, at least I don't know. It depends on the. It definitely depends on the kid, but I think there is like a benefit to having parents sort of be involved from the very beginning and know like, okay, these activities are also important. Like you talk about them in the college application, and right. I mean, it's really tough because I feel like if there are community members like who are a little bit like more well informed, like that's helpful to parents of high school students and middle school students. Mm -hmm. And I, like, I've talked to so many parents myself, like in my own community, parents of like middle school students and high school students, just like about my own experiences and um, all the things that are important for college applications. Um, And I, I feel like that's definitely helpful. Just like looping them in so that they kind of understand like the whole process and things like that. Um, exactly yeah for sure uh, supportive family is so key to this whole process um so actually seeing that we only have 10 minutes left i actually wanted to pivot to the last segment of of this event um where we, we where we go over interview tips and kind of stories yeah. or other things that you have in mind yeah yeah definitely so i mean we kind of talked about like grades and activities and all of that and then like I feel like the finishing touches on the application are like the essay and then the interviews right and Mm -hmm. I say that because they happen at the very last minute like right when you're applying it's not really something that like spans the first three years of high school that just happens like at the very end and um so I think for interviews there's like a few things that i've noticed um just like interviewing private school applicants versus public school applicants Mm -hmm. and then just in general like students who are well prepared for the interview versus not well prepared um so i have a list of questions that i prepared for um Mm -hmm. like for the college interviews and i will I'll put that in my bio, like right immediately after this, um, mm-hmm. like probably like 50 or 60 questions that I prepared for just like common questions that wow. you're going to get asked, right? Like, tell mm-hmm. me about yourself. Like, what's your favorite subject? Things like that, um, mm-hmm. which I think there's there's like multiple components to interviewing. Part of it is the content of your answers, right? It's like, did you think about this and give it some thought and like reflect on your experiences and sort of come up with like a good answer or are you just coming up with something on the spot? Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and you can tell who, can who's tell. prepared it. Yeah. yeah. Or like there are common questions like, oh, what's your biggest strength versus your biggest weakness? Things like mm-hmm. that. And I think those are questions that every applicant like should be sort of preparing for you know, you're probably going to get asked them. And it's, I think it's worth like kind of writing out answers to like these sorts of questions because the Mm -hmm. people who give impressive answers, they didn't just think of it on the spot. Like they've, you know, I'm not saying they've memorized Mm -hmm. answers for interview questions, but like they've given it some thought in advance. And I think that's important. And I think that's something you can, you know, when, if you practice doing interviews with like a teacher or like friends or things like that, you can get other people's opinions, not necessarily Mm -hmm. to say like, Oh, say this instead, it'll be more impressive, but just someone can say like, okay, that answer was good, but you could be a little bit more reflective or maybe go more into why you feel like this was like such a growing experience for you or things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it just like, Step one, it is important to think about these common questions that we're all going to, you know, that you're probably going to get asked. 
and just focusing on like the content and just being really thoughtful and um, not just saying yeah. like the first thing that comes in into your mind <laughs> or or not just answering the question like directly like for example what's your what's your favorite subject and just answering math and exactly. that's it leaving it at that you know exactly. like elaborate yeah exactly that was a good really own it. things that I talk mm-hmm. about because sometimes like the whole point of the interview is to have a conversation and to like get to know the person and if you right. just say oh yeah my favorite subject is math like that doesn't accomplish that right Like, Mm -hmm. it's not about just answering questions for the sake of answering questions. It's really, um, you want to go into, like, like, what do you love about math? Like, there's a Mm -hmm. way to make it interesting, you know, and kind of, like, help the interviewer learn more about you and what you value and what's interesting. Mm -hmm. So I I was going to say that I think the best applicants are the ones who are good storytellers from their from their essay also to their interview. Um, Mm -hmm. and have kind of a level of comfortability like talking about themselves and pitching themselves I think for a lot of most high school students this is the first time that they're really asked a lot about themselves and their interest in a very formal setting absolutely I completely agree with that and I feel like so there's another like I'm glad we touched on that because that was going to be one of my main things is like don't give one word answers (laughs) like that's not the point of the interview yeah Um, But I think another component to it is, you know, when you're interviewing someone for college, generally, I don't believe that the alumni interviewers get a chance to look at the uh, application, at least like for Princeton, we don't don't look at the full application and know their grades and their test scores or anything like that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure that's how it is at like every school. I don't think the alumni get to actually look at the application. You're just talking to the student who like, you know what high school they go to and what city they live in. That's it. That's right. It. So, yeah. So like a lot of the conversation is about like, Oh, like what activities do you like to do outside of school? Like, what are you interested in? Mm-hmm. And I think that the students are well prepared for the interview. Like they really approach it. It's called like the star format. So that's like, you talk about mm-hmm. the situation that you're in. So you give a little bit of information about like, you know, just what's the background of the situation. Then the Mm -hmm. T is for task. So you talk about like what uh, your responsibility was. A is for action. So you say like, this is what I did and you can be, you know, pretty specific. And then the R is result. So you want to talk about the impact of what you did. And Mm -hmm. I think this is like kind of, this is important for like when people eventually do like job interviews and stuff like that. But even at the college level, I think the best applicants are really impact driven, right? Like they're not going to talk about like, oh, and I did this activity and I did it for 40 hours a year and Mm -hmm. it was fun. Like they're really focused on what, like what was the result of what they did? What was the impact? And I think the best applicants, like they're willing to just talk about it and they don't feel like they're bragging or feel shy to say it or, um, things they're like proud that. of the results yeah, exactly. of, of what they've done exactly mm-hmm. exactly so i think that's really yeah. important um is just like not to minimize and to also just try to quantify as much as you can the result of what you did um mm-hmm. and again i think that becomes more important at the level when you're applying for jobs and things like that too where you know employers don't care how many hours you worked on something they want to know like what was the result like what did you accomplish by 
doing, you know, this activity or, you know, in your role at this job. Um, And Mm -hmm. so I think, yeah, like the best applicants definitely know to highlight that. And like the result is the most important part, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And so as much as you can, I think for any activity that you put on like the common app or, you know, the application is to talk about the result and just be focused on impact rather than like what sort of, I don't know, like how many hours do you put into it or things Mm -hmm. like that. Um, So that's one thing that I definitely wanted to bring attention to. Uh, The other, the other thing that I've noticed is I think if you are a student who is like coming from like a lower socioeconomic status background and you've had challenges, like you have maybe had to hold a job in high school outside Mm -hmm. of like, you know, your classes, you have to like actually have a job. That's Mm -hmm. something that I think is worth playing up and not to like minimize it and just make it sound like, oh, like, and then I did this other thing, like, oh yeah, like I worked as a tutor. But Mm -hmm. I think really actually leaning into that and saying like, yeah, I had to get this job in order to be able to afford like whatever, like XYZ bills or like to help Mm -hmm. my family. Um, and this is something, you know, that like I learned X, Y, Z from and mm-hmm. just, yeah, try not to minimize like the challenges. I think leaning into it and like showing that you're proud of it and what you learned as a result mm-hmm. is definitely a better approach. Um, that's right. Yeah. W- like, would you agree with that? Or I, I agree. I, I think a, a, another common stigma that you hear is that you don't want people to know that you're from a first-gen or low-income background because they think they'll negatively impact how the admissions committee views you. So instead, you know, doing the opposite and what you were saying, don't minimize those experiences, those challenges, because they'll make you stand out and give you the nuance that to your application that they're looking for. Absolutely. I, Mm -hmm. and I think like for a lot of these schools, they are need blind. So I totally understand the, Mm -hmm. like the sort of concern about it, but I don't necessarily think the concern is necessary in a lot of cases. Although yeah. I, I guess a lot of these schools are not need blind for um, like out of what's it like international applicants or like mm-hmm. maybe if you're undocumented, like it might not be need blind. Um, so I, I do get the concern, but at the same time, I think it can also make you more impressive. Like I don't think minimizing your challenges is ever really gonna be that helpful i think it's help you in any way yeah it's like what i it's like what i mentioned about like like i've talked to applicants who have said like i wanted to do this and i couldn't afford it and so i did this other thing instead and i got really into it and Mm -hmm. yada yada and at least i think most people respect that i think most interviewers will respect that Mm mm-hmm for sure. I think everything is gauged relative to your situation, right? Even even the the grades that you got is gauged relative to your school and the quality of your school. Same way with what did you make of the situation? Oh, if he or she did this with this situation, imagine what they could do if we let them into our school and they have this many opportunities and resources available to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and I mean, even there are a lot of hobbies like artistic hobbies that price people out, right? Like something like knitting, like, guess what? Yarn is kind of expensive. Like it just is. And 
And I think if that's something that is like uh, a hobby to you or something that you want to have as a co-curricular, you can still talk about like, you know, I really love knitting. And in order to be able to afford to even do this, like I had to get, Mm -hmm. you know, this job on the side, like tutoring students or, you know, I'm just kind Mm -hmm. of like making something up. But if that's the case, like you might not even think that like that's an impressive thing. Um, Mm -hmm. That's just your life. But I also I think that's something that you could totally talk about and just use to your advantage in, you know, a situation like like college application interview. For sure. For sure. It's like tying, tying the pieces together, connecting the dots for yourself. Yeah. 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 I think so. Yeah. Um, so what are, what are some last tips that you'd have during the interview process? I think, I mean, number one tip is just like prepare, like think about the common questions you're going to be asked and talk to Mm -hmm. someone like practice with people and just, the content is the like the most important right so think about that and that's where i would put the majority of uh my effort i think Mm -hmm. practicing is another like just underrated sort of that's part of it like you just have to put in the time to practice and practice saying your answers practice you know interviewing with people and i think it's such a millennial and like gen z thing to use filler words like like and um and we all do it but when you're going for an interview i think the more you practice the more you can get rid of that and like for a lot of people when they're you know writing out their answers for interviews they'll do like a bullet point format because they don't want to sound too rehearsed Mm -hmm. if you don't use a lot of filler words okay fine like that works but if you're someone like me who says um and like every two seconds you know what like you're gonna probably need to write out your answer and practice it and you're probably never gonna sound rehearsed because you use so many filler words anyways (laughs) so yeah exactly yeah it's (laughs) It's just about like putting in that practice. Um, mm-hmm. And I think like the format of like talking about your activities, it's called like the star format and focusing mm-hmm. on the results and the impact of everything you're doing is really like, that's really important. Don't feel like too shy or don't feel like you're bragging or that the interviewer is going to think that you're, you know, not humble or anything like mm-hmm. that. Like this is the time to talk about what you did so it's now or never yeah yeah exactly exactly um so yeah i i think like those are probably good places to start um Mm -hmm. but yeah i would i think i can definitely do i mean i have notes on this so i'll do like a little yeah also we'll we'll publish like a little yeah a little blurb about it Yeah, exactly. Okay, awesome. Um, So I think we're running out of time now, but thank you so much for joining. And, you know, it was was really nice to kind of think about our own experiences and try to think about how it applies to our communities, our DC communities. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay, well, um, we'll we'll talk later. Yeah. Thanks, everyone else, for tuning in. Thank you. Bye. Gotta be honest With diamonds and pearls Yeah, yeah Bengal is a New York All over the world uh, It's the bony show uh.
Hey, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live. From the slang we spit to the gangs we with, it doesn't matter. We the essence of the Bangladesh. I said, hey, come on, can you handle this? Representing the boroughs where the bangles live.